welcome to the Profiting from Data podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Jay Graham, Principal Portfolio Manager at Azure Data within Microsoft. Jake is involved in several interesting data projects and initiatives at Microsoft. And on this episode, Jake talks about trends regarding data marketplaces in the cloud, Amazon and Snowflake's data marketplaces, use cases, future predictions, and much more. Please enjoy this dialogue between Jake and your host, Amit Kilduff. Jake, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So Microsoft HQ is in Seattle. Is that where you're based at the moment? It is not. Um, I was visiting my in-laws in Brazil when COVID kind of came uh, unexpectedly and became much larger than I think any of us were expecting. And uh, my wife and I were actually renting a house for the last few days of our visit about three hours outside Sao Paulo in in a little beach town called UKE. And we have not left the house since. I have been uh, trapped and isolated on a, on a tropical beach in Brazil for about six months now. And oh, we feel so sorry for you. It's pretty terrible. It was definitely not in the, in, in the plans that I had for 2020, but uh, it, it has been a, a nice bright side and what has been a, an otherwise very tumultuous year. Is it, is it difficult to do uh, uh, long days working through data uh, and uh, machine learning uh, whilst you're sitting on the beach? Uh, so I try not to sit on the beach for it. I, I actually have tried taking one or two meetings and the waves are a bit too loud. So that that's almost a benefit. Um, I have found that I think we've been working the wrong time just forever because since I'm, I'm four hours ahead of Pacific Coast time and I'm keeping the same hours, I actually have my mornings free and work from about noon till 9 p.m which means uh, I have an 18-month-old son. I get to, to take my son on bike rides and go to the beach early in the morning. And then I, uh, I work all through the afternoon, which apparently is, a, is a, I think, a much better approach. We should, we should try that. Excellent. Excellent. Maybe, maybe the topic for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. So let's, let's, let's jump in. So, so clearly you're in a privileged seat at, at one of the biggest cloud companies and tech companies in the world. Um, from your perspective, how do you see cloud changing the data market? I, mean, I think it's changing it in a few ways, right? There's, um, as all of compute and storage and data and development is moving from on-premise, very custom-built and managed environments into much more of a shared ecosystem, I think there's a lot of opportunity and I think there's a lot of threats for existing business models. And there, there's new challenges that we need to overcome. I mean, I think there's the the obvious shift that we've seen over the past year is a new channel for existing data providers, right? As we've seen quite a few companies launch uh, data marketplaces as well as, um, let's say, data exchanges for open source data. So I think that's something that both providers and consumers need to think through of what is the purpose of these marketplaces? What problems are they solving? And what data should be consumed and, and provided there? I think from an infrastructure perspective, it's changing things actually even more. And we're, we're just starting to, to see that. Um, so much of the commercial data market has, has struggled to scale just because of how custom the infrastructure has to be, right? Especially when we, when we talk about data that has any type of access or entitlement or privacy issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the, the plumbing, the quote unquote plumbing that needs to be built between a data provider and a data consumer is so onerous that you, you've ended up, I think, with uh, a much smaller market for data than we have the potential for. 
Um, because data providers haven't been able to build scalable infrastructure to allow for many different consumers to access data and to access it in a way that lets them actually get to economies of scale. I think what we've really seen is, is a market that's based on aggregation and curation for large consumers. And we're going to start to see it scale out much more where data becomes much more discoverable and accessible for lots of different consumers because the cloud allows for, for scale in a way that we just haven't had before. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and so uh, vendors of alternative data or external data, how should they view clouds as um, should they be thinking of you guys as a new route to market, a new channel? I, I think that it's going to be a requirement to do so, right? I, I think this is, this is a market that's trailing a few years, the application market, which is, which is shifted so heavily to cloud and has started to see a significant portion of consumption move to cloud marketplaces. But when I say significant, we're still talking a minority. I don't think any major data providers are going to see their core business disrupted. But what I think they're going to see is a significant number of their consumers wanting to consume data where their storage and compute lives, right? Which is just increasingly within uh, the major cloud providers. So I, I think kind of ignoring these marketplaces is not going to be an option, at least in the, in the medium term. Um, I do think data providers should be very selective around what they're doing with each cloud provider and evaluating the different market models that are that are coming about um, and making bets on their own infrastructure, right? There's so much of each cloud provider where we're all investing in trying to make the value add of building, not just in our, in our IaaS or infrastructure as a service, but also our platform as a service and, and software as a service offerings and trying to make that a part of data offerings. I think cloud providers are gonna have to make bets of, or excuse me, data providers will have to make bets of where do I ignore certain data marketplaces? Where do I have just the minimum there to serve my consumers' needs that are already in those clouds? And where should I be making large bets and partnerships to, to do further development? So that's on the vendor side. On the um, owner of the marketplace side, like for, for, for Microsoft, Azure, or others, uh, what obstacles do you need to overcome before you see a lot of transactional flow? So Microsoft's in an interesting position. We actually had a data marketplace from 2011 to 2017, which we spun down. And I don't think we've made a decision yet around what exactly we want to do in the market um, in terms of how we want to approach this. But uh, I think the, the largest obstacle we saw in, that, saw in that first data marketplace and one that we have to overcome if we're going to be successful were we to relaunch in the future um, would be making sure that we actually have the data providers, vendors, and, and data sets and assets that actually drive value and gravity in the market. Because I think if you, if you start just by trying to disintermediate this market, as we've seen some providers do, and getting whatever data you can and assuming you know this can be a, if you build it, they will come approach. It didn't work for us the first time, and I don't think it's gonna work for any of the providers now, right? If, if you don't have the data sets that really drive consumption, you won't get consumers actually spending any time or money there. And you can't get that, that flywheel moving, right? That virtuous cycle of bringing new consumers to data providers to get them to put new data assets, to bringing new data providers onto your platform. Um, if, you, if you're starting with something that data providers aren't excited about. So, so I think we have to approach data providers as the first part of this, uh, of this platform um, and, and view the value, connecting them with consumers is the value that we're bringing rather than than the value of disintermediating or be a, being a middleman ourselves. Mm -hmm. I look, it's a really interesting area. I, I recently wrote a blog entitled Data Doesn't Sell Itself. And um, 
that that's my view and i asked uh, 15 or so contributors for their views and they agreed and there's the whole a lot of debate at the moment as to how much can be done through tech and and what sort of i guess services level um uh, is also needed to complement the tech well, well what are your thoughts on that i mean yeah love to hear your thoughts yeah i mean i i think I bring a product manager's perspective to that concept. And I agree data doesn't sell itself. And I think today it really does not sell itself. Um, I think most of the, the market today in data is bespoke, right? It's, uh, it's a metaphor I've used recently that um, when, we, when we talk to large data providers, oftentimes their top 20 customers represent 80% of their revenue. Uh, and I think a major reason for that is every consumer, every use case, every user of data needs a specific data set, right? There's very few generic data sets that solve all of the world's problems. And I think what you end up with are very few data products, right? You end up with data services. You end up with these large, again, aggregation and curation services where the majority of the value that's being provided by a provider is, is curating data for a very specific need. Uh, as a product manager, that is an amazing untapped space to actually help start the creation of data products that can sell themselves more effectively, right? I still don't think very few products sell themselves, um, but I, I think of this as, if you were to think of how Salesforce really changed first the CRM market and then the enterprise software market, mm -hmm. right? CRMs were generally sold together with ERP systems. They were probably the most complex sale that I'm aware of in any enterprise, right? You had these large multi-million dollar yeah up to 10 year deals, we, we still see ERP systems that are, were, you know, that have been obsolete for 10 years running major enterprises. Um, and those things did not sell themselves, right? And you had this idea of, do we use it for my key? Do we use a vanilla system or do we use something off the shelf? But everything was very bespoke. And I think Salesforce's major innovation in that space was to come in and say, well, for this particular slice of, of customer relationship management, there's actually, there's a lot of this, it's the same requirement and we're overselling and we're building too much in and we're making things more complicated. Let's build a self-serve, very simplified product that we won't customize. And let's just put that out in the market and make it easy to provision and easy to consume and move from these large complex sales into something that's lower touch, right? I don't think you'll ever see anything, you, you see, you'll very rarely see things that are, that are no touch, but a lower touch sales motion. And I think from there, they, they kicked off software as a service, right? Um, and over time, it's going to be the majority of the market as consumers realize there's a lot more benefit and scale and especially economies of scale that you get by, by taking a service and bringing it into a product, um, it just transformed a huge part of the market. There's still highly complex deals. ERPs haven't gone away, right? SAP is still doing tens of billions of dollars a year. There are other EIP vendors, but you've seen the market change to something lower touch. I think we're going to see that for data as well. Right, and I think cloud is a necessary piece of that. I don't think cloud marketplaces are a necessary piece. If the if the if if cloud service providers don't get those right, I think you'll still see the same channels. But you will see this ability to build a product that serves multiple needs and have a lower touch and maybe less customization start to take off. That's going to be fascinating to watch and and in as we go forward. But today, then. Um, what are your thoughts on, I guess, what the competition of Microsoft is doing in the data marketplace world? I think we've seen two major market models launch in the past year. So we've seen AWS's data exchange um, and we've seen Snowflake's data marketplace, I think are the two largest entrants 
And, and I think they've taken very different tacks to the market. The, the way that I think of what AWS is doing is very similar to what Amazon has done to many other markets, right? Which is recognize there's an inefficiency between suppliers and consumers um, and seek to make the, to reduce the friction of that consumption, right? So reduce the friction for providers to, to find new consumers and for consumers to discover the right data sets and to make it just much easier to transact data. And I think the approach they're taking, I, I tend to think of it as, as um, data as a, as a very valuable commodity, right? But it is a commodity. We're gonna buy all these data products in the same way and we're gonna tran transfer them in the same way and we're, gonna, we're going to let the, uh, the consumer kind of leverage that raw fuel for whatever they wanna do. Um, I think that's very different than the approach that Snowflake has taken, which I tend to think of more as, as data as a managed service. But in the case of Snowflake, we're generally thinking of it as data in a managed service within a walled garden. Um, so I, I think if you if think, look at what um, Snowflake CEO says about their, their data exchange and sharing and monetization capabilities, uh, it really is meant to be this fuel for their virtuous cycle, right? If they make it very easy, for data providers and owners to share and monetize data, that brings more of that valuable data into their ecosystem. It provides more value to their consumers. When consumers are looking, that makes it easier to, to work within Snowflake. If it's easier to get access to data within Snowflake, there's no reason to, 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 to go anywhere else. And it's this whole virtuous flywheel um, of, of managed access to data since Snowflake uh, uses in-place sharing as opposed to transfer. I think that, we're seeing a lot more excitement around the data as a managed service model, right? We're seeing a lot more data providers um, seeing as an ability to, to deliver more value as opposed to being disintermediated between their consumers. Because when I think of value add on top of data, the first thing that I think of is structure, right? The, the first level of value add that you can provide to a consumer is helping them understand how should this data be structured? What's the semantic layer, right? What's here and how should I analyze it? Um, and, I, and I think Snowflake's taken the first step to, um, to really making that available. I, I think their limitation is, is just the fact that it's very much within Snowflake, right? It's this walled garden. You have to have your data in Snowflake. You have to be consuming in Snowflake and you, you can't really move beyond that. I really believe that before we see cloud marketplaces really holding a significant part of this market, it's going to have to be much more flexible, right? It's, it's going to have to be, how do we bring data providers and consumers closer together, regardless of what the right channel is? Um, and how do we make sure that you see structure as, a, as that first layer of value, but how do we start, how do, how do cloud service providers make it easier to, to provide even more value, right? Because I think one of the things we hear from data providers a lot is they have no real visibility on how their data is being used after they throw it over the fence. Um, and it's very difficult to provide a value-added service and move to more of that data product as opposed to data service, unless you really understand how it's being used and the insights it's driving. Mm. Interesting, uh, very interesting angle. And are, are you surprised that some of the other cloud providers in the US and internationally haven't launched uh, data marketplaces? I, I oh, sorry, think- Jim, we... Sorry, let me ask you that again. Is that, is that a, a, little, a little toddler uh, running around um, it is, yeah, screaming yeah. dada. Sorry about that. My my office is not getting good Wi-Fi right now, so I'm on my patio. Okay, okay, um, okay. Let's. I'll ask that question again. Hopefully, um, okay. Oh, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. Okay. Uh, to be um, to be honest, that's the most 2020 
thing that you could imagine, right? A, a podcast <laughs> with a with a child screaming. In Brazil, on a beach, I love exactly. it. Yeah. No, it's going with the times. I like it. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll I'll ask that question again. Um, Jake, are you seeing other? I'm oh, sorry. Let me start again. Mm-hmm. Jake, are you surprised that other cloud companies in the US or internationally haven't also followed AWS or Snowflake and launched data marketplaces? I, I think we will see most major players in this space eventually having some type of data marketplace offering, right? So so not, not talking about anything specific that Microsoft has planned, but it will surprise me if in five years' time, you know, we and GCP and and potentially even Oracle and Salesforce and other players um, in in not just the cloud space, but the analytics space and the, and the analytics platform space don't make significant efforts to make the data that their consumers need available natively in their platforms. Right? And I think there'll be multiple approaches to doing that. I, I do think that there's still some technical hurdles that need to be overcome to doing it well, right? There's both technical and market hurdles. Um, Maybe I'll start on the latter first. The market hurdles is data providers need to actually want to come to the table, right? I, I mentioned that the, what we learned the first time doing this is just having a data marketplace is not enough. You need to have the data that really drives value and that drives trust, right? People, data scientists and engineers and business analysts don't want to spend money for data that they don't, they don't trust is going to actually be real and they're invalid and, and going to drive value. Um, so the first thing I think is going to be for all, all of us in, in the middle of this platform, right, that want to be the center of this two-sided market to, to recognize that you have to provide more value to data providers than just the new channel to bring them to the table. I think the technical, technical hurdles that need to be overcome to get there are at least threefold. Um, the first, I, I don't think data being transferred between thousands of separate entities is leveraging the the value that cloud can bring right this idea of, of data as a commodity that we we throw over a wall between each other or that or that we create piping to uh, uh to, to transfer around doesn't leverage um data as a service that i think you need in place sharing to be able to allow um so in place sharing is uh, snowflake is the first to market for for large scalable data right so where a provider can make one storage account accessible to any number of compute endpoints that they like, managing access into that data, uh, and to be able to scale and replicate that data in a, in a multi-tenant fashion, um, so that you really get that economy of scale of, as opposed to figuring out what bespoke need you have, I can create a data product and just grant access into specific pieces mm-hmm. of it. So there's some significant infrastructure work that needs to be done uh, for that to be accessible and available across all data providers. Fundamentally, the, the most basic is you need to have a separation of storage and compute. Um, so for those of us who, are, who, who don't work in the software space, traditionally uh, applications have been built as one monolithic surface, right? Storage through compute, we're gonna optimize from top to bottom and make sure that we get the best performance and that we control data as it flows between all of these, these, these between endpoints. Uh, I think what big data has proven at this point is that you get a, there's, a, there's a lot more benefit to scale if you can actually separate those things and you can bring the right type of storage and the right type of compute and the right endpoints together and, and scale them as needed. Uh, and I think most major data um, software companies are, are going through this process now of when, where, and how do we separate storage and compute. I, I think the next major 
obstacle that we have to overcome before we see everyone jumping into the state of marketplace space is how do we manage entitlements and access, right? I think the most valuable data sets on the market today, generally um, that, that value means that there needs to be some restriction to who has access to something, right? Anytime that you make any, any asset valuable, it's, it, it's, it's something that not every, it, it loses value if it becomes um, entirely accessible to everyone, right? So whether we're talking about financial data coming from exchanges that has specific entitlements around who is allowed to consume it, whether we're mm -hmm. talking about uh, medical data that needs to be controlled and make sure it's being used for the right purposes, whether we're talking about identity data that needs to be controlled in terms of how personally identifiable it is and how it's used and by who, uh, getting to looking at access and privacy of data as opposed to applications, right? And making sure that you understand how data changes and who should be able to see it and, and what those rights are on a, in a really scalable way is a problem that we have to solve. And, I, and that's something we're definitely looking at within Microsoft. Um, and I think the third piece is just making is, I, I mentioned data providers don't have a lot of visibility in how their data is used. If we're going to actually provide, as the middleman value to these data providers, we have to both give them visibility into how their data is providing value, but also um, give them the tools to provide more value, right? And make, and make sure there's an end-to-end -end experience. Great insights, Jake, thank you. Um, so moving tact a little, um, focusing on use cases, um, what use cases are, are, are you seeing for all this data? So I, I think that the lion's share of the data market is still really within, let me back up on that. I, I think data moves from being a commodity into providing real value wherever it drives a decision, right? And you know, we've this this is a market that for decades has been driving billions of dollars in decisions in every major vertical, right? So we've seen the the primary use cases of of investment and mergers and acquisitions and research and and, and in marketing and doing supply chain planning. I think those those things are still there, but the biggest thing that's changing is where decisions get made. Right, and I, I think decisions are getting made in two new places that are driving new use cases. Um, the first is is within predictive modeling, right? We're we're seeing more and more algorithms make decisions, um, or at least support decisions than than individual analysts, um, and that's creating a lot of very interesting new use cases that I can I can go into in a second. And then I think the second piece we're seeing is a is a democratization of um, how many people are able to access data. Right, and whether that's because business analysts are becoming more technically astute, or because we're seeing more and more low and no code platforms for people to leverage data, we're also starting to see data be, be leveraged in, by, by analysts a lot more frequently. So if I can just think of a couple examples that I've seen in each. Um, you know, we, we actually had a conversation recently about credit risk modeling, right? And, and how for years that has been a, a, a process that's very manual and has experts that look at it specifically and is fairly regulated and looked at a fairly, I think, standard set of data, right? Mm -hmm. So some of it, some financial data, some data coming from, from, um, if we're, you know, depending on if we're talking about uh, uh, enterprise risk or personal risk coming from different identity and and, and, and um, business data providers, and then potentially looking at market data. I think as we're moving to predictive modeling, I've seen really interesting use cases, for example, of um, looking at all of a, a market as a graph, as opposed to as an individual data point, 
and being able to look at, well, what is happening to this company's suppliers multiple levels out? And how can we get data that, that allows us to link across multiple levels? You know, this particular company, for example, in oil and gas, their supply chain is going bankrupt. And that's going to have very significant issues for them to be able to meet their cost targets. And how can we build models that start to, to bring that into account? Um, and on the other side of that, how do we start looking at companies where their consumers multiple levels out when we see these complex supply chains are starting to have, um, are starting to, to see consumption risk? And how can we build that in? And how can we start layering more and more data onto these graphs, right? So we've seen things like uh, the ability to add disruption uh, analysis into that, right? Where do we see geopolitical disruption disrupting supply chains that are going to that are going to disrupt the ability for a business to to do business and and how will that affect its um its credit risk or its investment profile right where do we see natural disasters starting to impact things right it's this layering of data and it's it's bringing the right structure to data right so recognizing some data belongs in tables some data belongs in reports some data belongs in a graph some data belongs in documents um, but bringing all of these things together and analyzing them as one I think I think that the, the credit and risk profiling space has been a, a very interesting one for me, um, and actually I I, I think it, it's actually a very similar thing that we're seeing for the the democratization piece, right? So not where algorithms are making prediction, we're making decisions, but where we're seeing more and more analysts able to make decisions and to and to push that data out, the ability to aggregate for those users what's the right data at the right time. Um, so, for example, when we see, you know, I'll stick with supply chain um, news articles that might create significant supply chain disruptions for supply chain managers, right, that might manage a portfolio of 30, 50, 100 companies. Um, if I'm able to understand ahead of time, actually, two of my suppliers are, are in mergers and acquisitions talks, and this might bring me down to one supplier. Actually, my competitor is considering acquiring one of my major suppliers. And having some of the technology to start delivering that data at the right time and, the, and um, the, the right approaches to monetizing that for the data providers to curate that right data at the right time. I think that's the very interesting things we've seen as well. Mm -hmm. um, and th this whole concept of combining data sets is the holy grail for a lot of our sophisticated clients. I think um, using individual data sets on an individual basis is, is one step forward, but Combining it is, is where the war will be won. Or, you know, and what are your thoughts on that? Or what are you seeing? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great point. Um, so Microsoft has made some investments over the past few years around around uh, common data models and industry data models. We recently acquired a company called ADRM that has over five thousand industry data models across every major industry. And one of the approaches we're trying to take is to to standardize on a data model and make the blending of third and first party data sets much easier. I think where that's possible, it's, it's fantastic, but I don't think that can solve this problem in general, right? I think we've, anyone who works in the data science and analytics space has heard the, the cliche at this point that 80% of data science is data wrangling, right? It's how do I find this data, figure out what's in it, validate, figure out what pieces I need, blend it together, create a pipeline, right? We've seen data engineering, it didn't exist years ago become, become a major part of every enterprise. Um, I, I do think that the data model is the solution here, right? But I actually think it's how we describe data models that we're going to see start to standardize. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely see consortiums and things that are trying to push a standard data model across industries. I think there's only, that's only gonna work in a, in, a, in a narrow segment of the market. 
I think we'll continue to see tools that make ETL or ELT and transformation and blending easier. And I think that's a, that's a piece of it. I, I think the biggest transformation we're going to see is if we can see standardization around how data models are described um, and the metadata that describes them, both the metadata that describes a data set, but also the physical and logical representations of data in those models, we can start to, to automate and use some of this tooling we have um, to, to make blending something that does not require so much art, right? Uh, it, can, it can move to something that's much more scientific. It can move to something that, that looks much more like engineering and construction, where if we have a common understanding of what is in data, um, we can automate how we bring it together and, and not have to, to really spend so much time understanding the minutia um, on an individual level. Yeah. Um, the whole area of mapping and symbology is definitely one that's ripe for solving, but it's, but it's a tough, tough challenge to solve. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens on a three to five year view. Um, speaking of the future, uh, maybe we'd finish up Jake by getting some thoughts. What any predictions or, or thoughts, uh, of, of the data space going forward? Predictions or thoughts. So, I mean, I, I, I think I, maybe I'll try to flush out, a few that I touched on here. I believe within five years, we will see um, a significant but still minority percentage of the data market being transacted on cloud marketplaces. Um, I think the predominant model from a technology perspective we'll see to do that is uh, in-place sharing where a data provider can manage the structure behind all of their data and grant access into it um, for consumers, uh, understanding exactly what access they have and how it changes, both from a subscription perspective, but also from a data lineage perspective. I think we'll start to see the right structure for the right data become something very critical, right? I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see certain data that's shared in an unstructured format. We'll see data warehouses continue to grow as a means of understanding more complex data. Um, I think we'll start to see graph and document databases uh, become a primary means that, that data is shared. Um, and I think that the winners in this market who, who are able to really derive and extract the most value from this shift are going to be the companies that have the most complete portfolio, right? So if you have support for this multi-tenant in-place sharing model, if you have all of the right data structures, if you have the right data governance capabilities and you're able to integrate into the right end user experience where um, decisions are made and data turns into insight, I, I think I think the people who take the most holistic approach to that and really invest here are going to um, to, to be the largest players in the market. Jake, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today all the way from uh, the beach in Brazil. Uh, really envy you doing all the data work there. Thank you for your, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. That's a wrap for this episode of Profiting from Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. To learn about Eagle Alpha solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.